everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with one of the best boa breeders on the West Coast, Sergio Hernandez. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the boa game and what his plans are for the upcoming season. We're also going to be talking about the labyrinth gene and discussing if it's the next hot gene in the hobby. Finally, we're going to be talking about the do's and don'ts of negotiating when you're looking to purchase a high-end boa. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morse Unlimited, and with me I have today's co-host, Thomas Cobb of Boa Addicts. What's up, Tom? How's it going, man? Hey. How's it going, Carlos? Good. Good, brother. So today, uh, our, our guest is our friend Sergio Hernandez. So Sergio, for the ones that don't know out there, is one of the premier breeders on the West Coast. He's known uh, for producing top-quality boas with heavy juggling, uh, jungling and, you know, uh, really mixing that VPI gene and the blood gene, taking it kind of to the extreme. Sergio is, is one that's really poised to produce some really fantastic animals in 2020 and 2021. So what's up, Sergio? How's life treating you, brother? Good, man. Everything's uh, just enjoying over here and, you know, hanging out with you guys. Yeah, man. So welcome to the show. I appreciate you taking the time out to kind of chat with us. Um, so let's just right, jump right into it, brother. Wanted to see, you know, learn a little bit about your background for the people that don't know you and essentially how you got involved with the whole BOA game. So kind of take us to the beginning. How did your interest in reptiles and BOA start? It was... um. Pretty much in my like early teens, me and my dad went to a pet shop one time just checking out animals and um I remember coming home with uh paracalubrids. It was uh albino corn snakes. Had those for a couple of years. Um I, I, I didn't try breeding them or anything and they ended up breeding, got some eggs, produced some babies. I think I had like eleven, ended up selling them. I didn't uh breed them again. That was just a one time. And then um, after some time, I sold them. I ended up getting a California king snake. Uh, and after that, it kind of dropped off for a while. I had uh, Burmese pythons. I got some albinos, some greens, uh, a couple others. And then um, after a few years, I, I decided to sell them and just kind of concentrate on school and some other stuff. And shortly after, I think in about 2009, I went to an expo in uh, Pomona, oh, yeah. and I picked up uh, a hypo jungle from Kyle. Mm -hmm. And then um, later that year, I picked up a uh, reverse stripe Guyana from Richard Saniceros. Yeah, yeah. And those were the only two I had that year. Just enjoyed them, loved them. I started getting into the forums, and I started seeing VPI and all that other stuff. And um, I ended up connecting with Tony Greenant. And uh, I took a trip up to his place in 2010, and uh, I came back with three VPI animals. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that happens, right? Yeah, I know. That's, like the, that's the start right there. You know, the, the, once you get the taste of Tony's collection, it's just game over. Yeah, that's how it was. I, I saw it, and I was just amazed. And um, one thing that I, I used to trip out on was he'd go like, oh, sh show me this tub, and pop over to this rack nothing was labeled and he just knew where everything was and it would throw me off like i don't know how he could remember it and now i do the same thing i don't i have labels on some not others and i just i visually know where everything's at but um yeah that's how i was that's how i started but yeah. i've also had a little bit of everything i've had like tarantula scorpions i've had caimans um like a, a hawk and a couple other things but 
uh, my family's always been into animals. My dad was into pheasants, uh, finches, cockatiels, all that. So it's kind of uh, something I've loved all through childhood. Nice, man. So other than reptiles, man, what do you do for a living right now? What's kind of your your, your well, uh, non-reptile uh, interest also? My day-to-day, as a, I'm a system designer for an AV company, and um, I just design all day, and then they install it, and then I'll go and commission the systems. So uh, it's anywhere from corporate to schools, things right. like that. Um, I also do production on the side, uh, which is more so as a hobby, I guess you could say. Yeah. So I do uh, concerts, uh, corporate events, festivals, all that big stuff. And uh, that keeps me busy. So within my job, my side production stuff, and then my snakes, uh, keeps me pretty busy. That's pretty cool. So tell me a little bit about that kind of site production stuff. Because I noticed when I was looking at your Facebook page, you had a lot of uh, pictures from like setting up at concerts and stuff like that. Um, how'd you get into that? Uh, since high school, I started oh, really? as a DJ. Yeah, I used to DJ. I did like, you know, the typical um, gigs here and there. I started doing house parties. I started buying more gear. I started progressing into um, house parties and then warehouse parties about more gear and then i progress into clubs and then just large venue events and then that's all i do now oh that's awesome man so he he definitely looks like the the standard like cholo style dj (laughs) (laughs) definitely like 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 without a doubt but you know i I wanted to, to bump in real quick and say it's it's really common that i find especially when you're looking at kind of what we consider like the upper echelon, the higher level collectors and breeders, right. you know, ones with massive collections or larger collections and, and like the forefront morphs, which are typically uh, far uh, more expensive, right? Than just general keepers. Um, I find that those types of keepers always have a form of side hustle. And that's why I think the progression in the BOA game kind of moves from like oh yeah i got one two and then it's like oh i got 30 and then it's like oh now i need to build this thing in my where or you know a facility in my warehouse because i don't have room in my house anymore and if it's like with that side hustle it's always that mentality of like you never stop right you're always pushing and you're always like trying to innovate and you're always trying to like morph into the next best thing and that's like when we do snakes right when we set a pairing up we're trying to morph into that next best morph and I see like people who are successful in the boa game, uh, you know, and not not all of them, of course, but you know, in general, a lot of us have that same mentality of like the side hustle, the grind, like team no sleep. I mean, Sergio's never sleeping either. He's messaging me stuff at two in the morning, you know, random videos or something like that, and I'm just like, well, why is he awake? Well, I'm awake too, you know, it's because that's the way we do it. Yeah, no, man, you're dead on on that. It's all about having that hustle. And as a matter of fact, our guest on the next podcast uh, is actually a guy that's fairly new to the reptile industry. But the guy comes from a uh, well-known pedigree within business and has built up, you know, a $55 million company. So I think it's important that people understand that, that, you know, in order for you to be successful with reptiles or anything else, you got to have that hustle. You got to have that entrepreneur mentality kind of built into you. But yeah, man. So let me ask you a question, Sergio, kind of uh, moving back to the reptile side. When you were uh, starting to get really serious within BOAs, who were some of your mentors uh, kind of within the BOA community that you started really listening to? 
It was um, it was Tony Tony Greenant. Um, he's the one I started with my VPI stuff, and he's a really good guy. If, if anyone's ever talked to him, uh, easy to get along with. Just gives you information. He'll BS with you for hours, and um, that's kind of how we started. And that's that's how I got into it. And he was my mentor for a while. Yeah, and I really, Green Ant's really actually how how I met Sergio. You know, at, at least in person, because. I, I flew out, or I think I drove out that time to meet up with, with Tony, and you know, because I knew him from online, and we we're pretty good buddies. And then I'm like, hey, well, while I'm out there, I'm gonna go see what's up with Sergio. And that was like one of the first times that I went over and visited Sergio too. And this is back, when, you know, he he had been in the game I think four years before me at least, um, right. and knew Tony quite a bit before me. But you know he had already amassed this collection of like some of the most epic stuff that you could even imagine in like 2013. Like this stuff is is unobtainable. You know all of the best Kyle Frost, uh, Stripe Jungle uh, VPIs. Um, he had all this sort of T Snow stuff, like heavy VPI stuff. And yeah, I mean Ant was kind of like one of the concrete individuals of the Cali crew. That held everyone kind of together because he was never judgmental he was always super chill like sergio said he always willingly offered information and help and he was happy for you there was none of that like infighting dramatic stuff that we see these days and you know i've been friends with sergio i mean i met you when in sergio in like 2013 i think 12 i think it was 20? yeah i think it was yeah. 13 because i because i bought green ants collection in 13 november mm. 13 and drove it back here so i had met sergio that summer I think and you know Sergio has been one of those people who I've been fortunate enough to be actual friends with like even beyond snake stuff you know we just hit up each other like hey what are you doing Hoto you know just talking shit and has nothing to even do or I say gimme and he's like oh you got gimme-itis again which is you know the <laughs> disease of always wanting to be given something <laughs> so I'll message him and say gimme something and he's like oh man gimme-itis is back but yeah you know um the the history the Sergio has with Tony kind of plays into like my history in the beginning of the bow game too because without Tony I probably I mean I would have met Sergio at some point but I don't think I ever would have you know got the ability to go tour his facility and see his animals and like meet him as you know in person as a friend versus just a voice over the internet you know yeah no I'm with you so I've never met Tony in person I I, I talked to him online a few times but kind of give me a rundown of what his facility looked like back in the day because I've heard a lot of good things about Tony and about kind of his facility how he did things you, you can do it Sergio <laughs> well it was um, it was kind of like a, um, in the back of his house he had a, a porch enclosed it built it out it was strictly just boas and um it was cool. You open the slide door, you go in, you got snakes left and right all the way to the end of the other side. And, um, yeah, that's that's what it was. I don't remember. It was a pretty good-sized room, though, for sure. Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I remember pretty distinctly because I, I ended up moving all the racks out and everything, you know, when, when I picked everything up. And I remember he had a six-foot freedom breeder straight in the back, like as you walk in the door, it's what you look at. And I remember that when I went over there, He's like, hey, check out the snake. And he opens the tub, and it was my big monster, Pastel Dream Key West from the 09 litter that Jeff wow. County proved out. And, I mean, this snake was a monster girl, big old head. I mean, her head was bigger than my hand, you know, right. big, beefy snake. And that boa has actually been uh, one of the groundwork boas for a lot of the animals in my collection now. And even, even Sergio has an offspring from her. 
that he grabbed, you know, a couple few years back. And she's kind of like a like a matriarch, a really really proud animal for Tony. But you know, going in there, you can just tell like this dude's a straight animal guy. Like because he, he's he's done other things, like he's done dogs and he's done boas, and I, he's really into turtles now, which is kind of neat. And he, you know, just like Sergio, like Sergio, the way I describe him is he's like the absolute world's best sleeper collection that you couldn't even imagine. Like, oh yeah, dude. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and it, it, Tony's the same mentality and kind of like me, like when you get into something, you go hard. And, you know, the cool thing about Sergio, he's not like, I mean, he's flamboyant, not in the sense that he likes, <laughs> to, show, he likes to show it off. You know, he doesn't necessarily be like, oh, yeah, look at all the cool stuff I have. I'm super cool. I mean, he's flamboyant in other ways, but, you know, it, <laughs> it's, we all have, like, I think that's why we're all kind of drawn together because the same mentality, you know, they say birds of a feather flock together. And, you know, Tony, he's still around, which is nice. You know, we, we all keep in touch with him. And, I mean, it's a, I'd love to see him get back in bows. And it'll happen one day, you know, when he's ready, I'm, I'm sure. He's, he's, he's waiting. He's got a couple things that he wants first. As soon as they're produced, I think we'll see a, a return of Green Ant for sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think he's got that itch for sure. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he's, he, he keeps asking. He's like, when's the pied boas coming? Or, you know, like, like show me some red rum stuff. Like. I want to see what you're doing because, you know, the, that's that's like we talked on the first podcast. And, you know, he's the founder of that Red Rum lineage. Yeah, no, and definitely, man. When I grabbed the collection, you know, I, I made a promise. I'm like, dude, I'm going to run with this. Like, I'm not going to sell this out. I'm not going to give it away. I'm going to, like, build upon this. And, and so, you know, when I post a picture on Instagram of, like, Red Rum Animal, you'll see me put in the tagline, uh, hashtag legacy, because... Like, I'm a, I'm a man of my word, and, you know, I was like, well, this was Tony's dream. This was his baby and his pet, and he trusted me to do it. So, well, shit, you know, I ran with it, and it's been, what, this will be my fifth year producing Red Rum Lineage Animals. And, right. you know, it's a, it's a pretty cool, you know, perspective to think back. And it's been a while, man. I've known Sergio, like, almost eight years. That's crazy to me. That's crazy. You know? Seems like, like yesterday he was taking me to go get tacos, you know? Shit. <laughs> there you go, man. <laughs> The, the other thing, um, speaking of legacy, the other thing Tom will be able to do is um, um, Tony always thought that the red rum with the anery would make a, like a lavender snow right. as far as ta the tail goes anyways. And um, hopefully that's something we'll get to see come to fruition yeah. or see if that's the case. Yep, I'm trying. So in 2000, what was it, 2016, I produced the red rum head annery 50% VPIs and I have uh that was the best little litter like legit pick of the litter ended up being a male thankfully so I raised him up and I tried him last year didn't had no interest this year he bred pretty hard so I have a female gravid right now hopefully uh and Sergio actually have will have a half sibling to this it's a, a motley triple head sharp VPI snow and he has a, a sibling it would be a half sibling of these babies um from one one of her litters that she had in 16, I think. And if that's the case, you know, hopefully we might see red rum snows, red rum motley snows, you know, of course, if this animal hits, but I'm, I'm chasing that red rum snow for sure. Pretty hard. I got two litters on the ground that can do it for me. And, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep going. It was, it was kind of a dream that Tony wanted. He was always into tea snow stuff. And so that's kind of one of the reasons, like I modeled my collection after like what made Tony really popular. And then I just happen to fall in love with all the morphs, fortunately. And, 
now I, you know, try and carry the torch as much as I can. So, yeah, no, I'm with you on that, man. I've actually been really looking forward to hopefully seeing one of you guys make that happen. And the good news is I got some of the, some, uh, red rub stuff here cooking. So hopefully, you know, I, I won't be too far behind you guys once, once you guys produce those, uh, red rum snows. Um, so Sergio, talk to me a little bit about like your collection right now, kind of your primary focus. Uh, just tell us about essentially what you're working with. For the most part, it's all VPI stuff. I do have a couple color stuff, color like pastel dream that I produced in 2014. I kept back two of the best females from that litter and actually sold one of them. And she was meant to come back because a year later she made it back. And um, so now I have both of them and I plan to implement VPI in those. But VPI is my baseline. It extends into... Um, Red Panther, Peak Panther, Pastel Dream, and Marin. And um, I also have a strong focus in Type 1 Ennery. I have a lot of snow stuff, snow glows, uh, combos with those as well. And last year, I also took on the Carbone BEA. Uh, I have Aztec Carbone Snow, and there's a lot of potential with that combo. So it's one I'll, I'll be working into as well. But I also work a lot with Aztec Jungle motley key west labyrinth and i have one rlt and that's that's pretty much it but vpi is my main focus i do have a couple of sharp stuff some paradigm right. um slow slowly getting out of those and once those are gone then it's just strictly vpi yeah and, no, I... and one thing one thing i'd want to say you know regarding his projects you know sergio's projects like this is the creme de la creme stuff Oh, like absolutely. None, I mean, you know, he, he's the connoisseur. Like, I've, I've met his dad, and his dad's super into these old school cars. He's the carbon copy of his dad. You know, like, <laughs> like if you're going to do it, you do it right, and you make some cool stuff. And so, you know, it sounds like so many different genetics because it is, but every single one of those is, like, the absolute top tier. And so you could imagine that once all of these start coming of age and he starts kind of taking those projects to that next level how like how much cool stuff we're going to see now granted vpi snows have been around forever but there's levels to the game and with the quality that he has backing it i mean you know he, he makes me jealous i i like have to like actually try to be cool when sergio's in the room and that's that's not normal you know i'm always pretty awesome Oh yeah, dude, dude. I think a lot of us in the industry are jealous of uh, a lot of the stuff Sergio's producing. I remember a while back he posted uh, that uh, visual uh, VPI labyrinth, and whoo man, that thing was pink. That thing was absolute fire, dude. Yeah, I remember I, showing I that to some ball guys. Too. Yeah, I remember. <coughs> excuse me, and I remember the funny things. I remember showing some pictures of Sergio snakes that he had shared online to a couple of uh, big uh, ball python f friends of mine that are really heavy into that game, and they absolutely lost their mind, dude. Like, you could tell in their eyes they were making some mental calculations about whether or not they're going to be able to, or I shouldn't say whether or not, how they're going to be able to start integrating boas into their collection, right? Because one sure. of the things... Well, yeah, go ahead. Oh, sorry about that. I was going to say what we're seeing now is especially with that quality increase we're seeing these boas you know morphs and combinations that are becoming competitive 
against some of the best combination morph pattern stuff that we're seeing in the ball pythons. And for the longest time, people have been saying like, when can we get the boas up to that ball python level? And you know, everyone asks every year is like, what's everybody making? What's the next big thing? Like, what what are people doing? We're gonna start seeing this this level change in boas to where there's such a plethora of options. It's gonna be so close to like like that ball python amazingness because there's so many choices and so much quality and variance and things. We're gonna see that in boas coming up real quick. And then oh, no. Sergio's like 100%. put himself in a position where he's like, you know, a stone's throw from just knocking everybody down. You know, if people actually knew what this guy had. You know, they would just like quit and start breeding ball pythons because, <laughs> I mean, it's he can't compete. You know, oh, I'm notorious 100%. for. I make appearances. I, I post a couple and then I disappear. And it's not. It's just because I'm busy. Um, taking pictures and posting and all that stuff kind of takes a while. Like with with pictures, I guess the if you look at my phone, it's full of pictures. The reason I don't post as much is just because I don't feel they're worthy of it. Like, I, I didn't like the lighting of it, or I didn't capture the animal right, or something like that. And um, that that's honestly the reason why I don't just post a lot. But um, I'm notorious for that. I'll, I'll post here and there, and then I disappear. And I'm like, well, I'll be back in a couple months. Oh, yeah, dude. No, absolutely, dude. Like, you're definitely one of, like, the guys in the know. The guys in the know within the BOA industry know about you. Guys that are coming into the boa industry prior probably to this podcast, they've probably never even heard of you. Let's be honest with a lot of them. But the guys True. who have been in the boa industry, dude, they know about you. They know the stuff that you produce. Because you throw these, like, your pictures are mic droppers, for lack of a better term. It's like you walk in the room, you drop the mic, and you walk out of the room. And then we don't <laughs> see you for, like, a couple of weeks or a couple of months, and then you show up to do it again. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Yeah, so, not. and that's the that's the funny thing is when you get these new guys and gals coming in, and you know they they've never heard or, or met or, or seen Sergio stuff, and all of a sudden you know because when he does it like he'll drop like seven or ten pictures at one time just like you know it's like it's like a B B one bomber just dropping them all and then like you said he takes off all these new guys that are then like oh who the hell is this guy where'd he come from it's like oh he's been around for like ten years <laughs> he's right. just so incognito that you don't even know like. When you, when you say low-key, like, he's low-key, legit. Yeah, no, 100%, man. So I want to kind of pop back to something you said, Tom, a second ago, and that's the fact that now we're seeing the BOA game really step up to what's going on within, you know, the ball python industry, right? So the last couple of years we've been seeing like an uptick not only in quality that's been being produced, but also new morphs that are coming, especially from like the Central American lines, right? You see guys like, for example, uh, Richard uh, Del, Del Bono over at uh, uh, Da Vinci Boa works with a lot of Central American stuff. And now he's starting to like mix a lot of the IMG into those Central American uh you know, morphs and now it's producing these crazy colors. And then we see new lines like uh, like Warren Booth's uh, Costa Rican T-plus stuff that he was posting, you know, kind of at the end of last year that made people lose their mind. And I think as more of those colors begin getting integrated and then with the giant, you know, the giant elephant in the room, and that's now the discovery and the existence of the piebald uh, gene within the boa complex especially in the central american side right now we're going to really start seeing brand new colors brand new opportunities that are going to end up getting mixed so i think we're still like on the ground floor of this whole boa gene game that you know 
we don't even know what the future holds, what's the possibilities. This is basically feels like what the ball python market felt like 20 years ago. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I, w I would definitely say we're still ground floor. Um, you know, there, there's forefront projects that we see now. And, you know, the idea when you're a breeder, and I think Sergio would agree because he's more, he's like an artist breeder, right? He only breeds stuff to produce where the philosophy is keep the best, sell the rest. And he's more like keep the best and then just feed the rest because he doesn't ever yeah. sell anything. Yep. You know, he's, <laughs> kind of like me right Sergio you just he just yep. throws him a rats and he goes back to work you know but keep I think it all we're seeing we're, <laughs> yeah keep it all right <laughs> that's 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 Sergio's hashtag hashtag keep it all um but we're we're definitely seeing this uptick in the potential and you know what I what I always try and implore to people when you're getting into the game just do what you like though like you can tell Sergio and I, our collections are very similar as far as what we face, and we've kind of had that same transition. You know, I used to be way bigger into Sharp, and almost the same time concurrently, we both started like, eh, it's not really our thing. Like, we like them, but we don't love them. But then you give us a VPI Snow, we're like, yeah, we love it. You give us a VPI Jungle, yeah, we love it. You know, Aztecs, like quality Aztec, yeah, we love it. So we've, we've both started kind of divesting similar projects, and the best part about so many availability of morphs and things like that is there's so many options that you can choose and don't just follow the pack don't just you know do what everyone else is doing or what you think is going to be like an expedient sale or something like that the only way you're ever really successful and enjoy it is by doing the projects that you like most yeah no you're you're dead on on that so sergio let me ask you something kind of give us an overview of like your current business model what your collection looks like and maybe some you know updates of what you're looking forward to producing this season well this season i, I kind of decided to take a step back from breeding um i only have a few maybe like four or five going and um other than that i just i decided to take it slow only because um last year i made the move i had everything at the house i had a separate room just for them and it uh i grew where I got to a point where I just needed more room, bigger caging, stuff like that. And I built a room within my warehouse um, dedicated just for them. Um, temperature control, humidity control, all that stuff. And I just wanted to dial the room in, get it all set, just make sure they're doing good, get everything upgraded, run electrical. And um, with the move and all, I just decided to take it easy, make sure everything's good. And I may even build another room just to have babies and sub-adults, uh, some of the grow-out stuff. But, yeah, we'll see how it goes this season. But I've never treated what I do with snakes as a business. I, I've been blessed that I can do it strictly as a hobby. And it, it, what little I do sell, it just goes back into it, um, new caging or upgrades or whatever. So I, I don't have to make some of the decisions that go with doing this as a business so right sometimes they people have to make sacrifices of selling their best because they need the money to continue and um i'm fortunate and happy that i've never had to make those decisions because some of the stuff you make it's just hard to part with and i see stuff for sale and i'm like man how could they sell it but at the same time i understand it and it just nature of the beast 
Yeah, no, and, but, I mean, uh, and I mean, it's one of those things, dude, that we never know necessarily what's going on in somebody's life that's kind of forcing them to put a particular animal on sale, right? We don't yep. know what necessarily is causing that person to, you know, uh, part with something at maybe a price that's under market value, for example, right? So I get it. Like, you know, circumstances kind of rise and, and and you know you have to deal with them as as they end up coming but um you said that you got a couple of pairings going give us a little uh a little sneak peek in in, in what's cooking in the lab bro i kind of started i mean I, I tried focusing on uh labby stuff and i don't know if any any of it's gonna take i i started kind of late to be honest but um i'm hoping i do i produced a nice colorful aztec molly vpi that um, I currently have with the uh, Hypo, Hypo Labby Head VPI and hoping they do well or gives me offspring. Um, I have a Jungle Labby that I have paired to that one Thomas I picked up from Thomas that he mentioned, the Pastel Dream Monster Tail Key West Fire. Woo! Wow. And then um, I have a Key West VPI Head Henry that I produced in 15. That I have with a Aztec double head VPI snow, and I also have a Labby head VPI with a IMG VPI girl, and then that's it. All right, awesome, man. man and then we'll we'll touch I, I on the like Labby a, in a little bit more. I feel like more. a grandpa all of a sudden. You know, like, <laughs> like, I feel like because his 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 Tiki too. I ended up actually selling him the dad to that, which his name was actually Tiki, like Tiki Barber. And yep. I remember when he dropped that litter of the visual Tiki head anneries, and I tried to pry one from this guy's hands for like two years. And he is literally like quicksand. Once it's there, man, like even today, I swear to God, I, I shit you not. I messaged him today. Here, I'm going to read it to you. Hold on, Sergio. Let me go back and find this. <laughs> like, this like, this is what we do, okay? So <laughs> I hit him up, and I said, uh, I said, give me money. And he says, give me something. I was like, what you want? I don't know. I was like, well, fuck. He's like, makes it difficult, but not impossible. Damn right. That's like that's like our conversations, right? That's funny. But. Yeah, it's not. It's nice to see him, um, you know, raising these animals because that that Key West fire I produced in fourteen, and this is the first year he's paired it. So that animal's going on almost six years old. Wow! You know, and that's another testament to someone who is taking this very seriously, but also caring about the animals while they're doing it. It's not a money game, and that's yeah. that's one thing that really separates Sergio from a lot of them. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a matter of having the right males too, because it. I, I could breed 40 females if I wanted to, but if it's not a pairing I really want to see, then why do it? So unless I have the right male and they're all lined up, then I'll wait, even if it's another year. I mean, there's no rush. I don't want to just make animals to make them because at the end of the day, I'm probably not going to try and sell them. So might as well keep what I want to or make what I want to <laughs> yeah. keep. Exactly. He's not going to sell any of them anyway, so he wants to be happy with what he sees. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, man, I, I, I'm with you. So let me let me ask you a question real quick. Um, it, with you now being involved in the hobby for around a decade, what are some of the things that uh, that you've learned or lessons learned that you wish you would have known when you first came into into the hobby? I guess it. I mean, I've I was fortunate to that 
I sit down and think of what I wanted to do four or five years. Um, the first couple ones that I got, it's just because I really liked them. At that point, I didn't really think of what I wanted to do or, you know, I just wanted to miss pets and that's what they were. Um, but after that, just sitting down and thinking what I wanted to. Um, I enjoyed the sharp stuff. I, I liked them. Maybe I, I probably wouldn't have got those and I would have jumped straight into VPI. Um, but everything else was a progression, you know, the KG and I started with, um, and then it moved on to racks and you kind of get a flow for cleaning and this and that and what works best for you. But I don't know that I changed too much of it, to be honest. I, I think it was all, uh, I'd probably do it all, all over again the same way. Yeah, that's cool, man. And that's a testament to the fact that you've pretty much enjoyed the process, right? Yeah. Like. Yeah, and, and, and that's awesome because I think a lot of people tend to second guess a lot of their choices and maybe some of their decisions. Like, I'm not going to lie, man. I'm one of those dudes. Like, a lot of times I'll look back on some of the decisions that I've made within the hobby in the past. I'm like, oh, man, if I could have known what I know now back then, I think I would have done X amount of Y different. But what do you, like, currently see as the future of the hobby? Kind of what do you think is going to be the next hot thing uh, that's going to end up happening? What should people out there who are listening to this podcast now kind of keep their eyes out? As far as I can, yeah. I mean, as, as far as I can see, the future is bright. It, it's pretty much up to people's imaginations. It, it can go whichever way people take it. Like you mentioned earlier, um, or we're barely beginning kind of like the ground levels of it just because of all the quality breedings that we're seeing. Um, just like the ball python, how it was a while back, where it kind of like it's getting to that point where it's going to be good. You're seeing all this crazy stuff. I think that's where it's at now. Um, the next, the future, obviously, we want to see that pied, you know. Um, once it starts getting work with and more quality breedings, I, I think it'll it'll be a good one. And that's still 12 years from now, we'll, we'll still be doing good things with it. So, Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. I think 12 years from now, we're really only going to be beginning into exploring what that pied is and maybe the first set of, you know, uh, of recessive double recessive visuals will be coming out at that point because it's still yep. such a small and limited project right but man oh, yeah. like in my eyes just imagining for example what like an annery pied will look like you know like the boa version of the panda pied right yeah like stuff like that just or like the img pied whoo think about that for a second you know what i mean imagine well, that, that, that that was that contrast it'd be that, amazing that was a pairing that lewis tried um, he, yeah. he did put he did put his visual uh, pied to an IMG because the the clear thought is a panda pied boa and right. I mean it's like a, like a legit Oreo cookie I mean how amazing would that be but what I think is even cooler is not that necessarily the end game snake but how it'll progress to that black over time because it's going to start out looking very wild type with the white patching and then right. all, all of a sudden you know three years later it's going to be pure black and pure white. Right. Yeah. And no, so then absolutely. imagine getting another recessive into that and then keep gene stacking more and more. I mean, that's that's why it's so ground floor now with what the potential is. I mean, because we're barely seeing the Labyrinth VPI visual stuff come down. We're barely seeing like the crystals, uh, you know, the, the homozygous uh, yeah. labbies. The super labbies, yeah, basically. Yeah, the yep. super labbies coming. You know, so we're, we're seeing all of this uh, stuff that's that's so forefront now, but it's still so infant. 
imagine throwing that into now the newest things which are going to be like the pides and then nexus and stuff like that and because i mean there's only been two nexus litters made um who, who knows what the potential is with that with other combinations i've seen one key nexus passed away unfortunately uh, um, but beyond that you know everything was either img or vpi based so you know yeah. we, we definitely got a future for sure and and i mean i wouldn't doubt we see pites popping out of sergio's place in five years honestly because you know he's he's a secret man he's just got a closet full oh of yeah shit. well if i were <laughs> if i were to be a betting man and sergio will never confirm nor deny it as as we said during like my time in military special operations right but <laughs> sergio i wouldn't be surprised if sergio a couple of years from now he like pops out with the first blood pides you know I what I mean? He already has a pied. I mean, knowing this guy, he's probably got like pied VPI snows, and we just don't even know it. <laughs> That's funny. Hey, so I want to touch real quick on the blood stuff because Sergio, I did notice that you had a lot of pictures of some blood boas being worked into the VPI stuff. So, kind of give us your thoughts about what you think about the integration of blood with VPI, and maybe some of the routes that could potentially go from there. Uh, that's something that's fair new as well and i actually didn't work a lot with bloods until recently um in 2018 i got the chance to acquire two hypo double heads and a hypo jungle double head uh, male and last year i bred um bred one female to it the other male was a i am hypo img jungle double head that bred the second female and they both took, both gave awesome litters had great babies and um i was fortunate to get a paw super sun glow vpi jungle blood and yep. a vpi jungle blood and um they're phenomenal but we're barely starting to work with them and i know tom's already integrating red rum into it so it's something where it it has a long way to go especially being a double recessive we could do so much to it, and that's something that people are going to keep working with and hope to see great things with it. Yeah, now, let me ask you something. What's the color development looking like so far within, like, the blood uh, VPI stuff? So far, it's been great. They, they've been holding color and stuff like that, and those are ones where I've tried to photograph them, and I'm still playing with it. I'm, I'm a real novice photographer. I'm not, like, a professional by any means, and that's why I haven't posted a lot of pictures, but... Um, once I can get some time and really sit down and take some pictures and try to get what I'm really seeing, then I'll, I'll post some more. But um, they so far, they're holding color. They're doing good. They're not getting dark or anything like that. Um, so we'll see in a year, see how they hold. But so far, I love them. That's I was, awesome. Uh, I was pretty stoked about the litter. Aside from the two visuals, even the the siblings and stuff like that, they're they're phenomenal just like a vpi uh pause head blood you can just see that color screaming through um the jungle what it did to it it, it was great i love it i'll uh, enjoy working with it for sure yeah and actually you brought up a really good point man and and that's that how the color screams scream throughs within the hats right like yep. i have a couple hypos that are uh double hats right for vpi blood and man, those things are red. Like to the point where a lot of times I'll open up the tub and I'm like, are these blood boas? And I know they're not, <laughs> right? But it seems like yeah. every single shed, they get a deeper, deeper tinge of red. Are you guys noticing the same stuff within like the animals in your collection? 
Yeah, they do. Definitely. Um, uh, well, you, you know, one thing I've picked up on mine. So, so Sergio, he did, he did head to head, right? Go chase that visual. So a lot of his babies are technically considered 66% head. Right. So if it's like a blood, it's 66% VPI, or if it's a VPI, it's 66% blood. But then when I look at the, some of the animals he's photoed and pictures he sent to me, when I did my pairing, it was a red rum VPI jungle sunglo uh, to a blood. I, I have 100% hets on my end, and I'm like, oh yeah, dude, that thing's gonna be het blood for sure. Because one thing I noticed in het blood animals, a lot of them have solid eyes, solid. Oh, you know, that's a good point. Eyes. Yeah. Um, instead of having a two tone. Now, don't get me wrong. Like my litter, they're all 100% double heads, right? Some of them have two tone eyes, but I would say it's at least a 50-50 split between the other ones having solid colored eyes. And and you know because they're hypo, they're like uh, kind of like a reddish tan kind of muddled bloody color they're not like dark or black like what you see in like het leopards sometimes but i think that that's a good kind of telltale trait that if you're not quite sure on if this is going to prove het blood or not if it has solid eyes in my opinion the likelihood is far greater that it will prove so when you're producing your 66 percenters by chasing that holy grail by doing a head to head you can pick out the babies like if you have to sell them right and sergio's not in a position to where he does he'll sell them when he wants if you had to sell a baby, but you want to keep a hold back, that's kind of a little trick. If it was in my collection, I would keep the ones with those solid eyes and I would sell the ones that don't. Yeah, knowing I think one of the things that a lot of people maybe aren't familiar with within uh, the BOA spaces, a lot of the markers that we look for, especially within like recessive stuff, tends to be associated with the eyes, right? I mean, like everybody's heard about the call markers within the eyes of the, that calls, you know, BOAs would have the brighter eyes in general and things of that nature. And kind of what I'm getting from you, Tom, is you feel like this might be a similar thing where this could potentially be a marker, right? I, I definitely would think it is. Um, you know, I, I haven't produced in that combination uh, anything that's poshet blood, but I have produced the Fire Jungle Motley's 50% blood and call, and I see the same thing in some of my fire animals from that litter. It's not fire associated, but I see solid eyes, similar to the ones on the double head red rum VPI uh, blood stuff. And so to me, I have 66% or 50% blood calls. I'm like, I bet that one's going to prove blood. So probably in about two or in a year, I should be able to breed the males, uh, maybe even this season, because they'll be two and a half. Um, females, obviously, I have quite a bit more time. I got another two and a half years to raise them. But I'll be able to like put my stamp on the fact that if those prove het blood, more than likely, if your pos het blood animals have solid eyes, they're going to prove het blood. Once, once I do a bunch of those pairings and kind of pick between them and see... Who, uh, who I think will prove, and if it pans out, I can have de some definite markers I can give to people with a you know more authority. I think. Yeah, no, and then um, so guys, I want to transition away now to kind of a new topic and something that was a uh, listener requested uh, topic that I, I wanted to get both of you guys' take on, and that's you know when you are a a new buyer hoping to purchase a high end boa. What are some of the do's and don'ts of negotiating with a quality breeder that, number one, is going to translate to you potentially getting the animal at a 
little bit better price, but also help you establish a good long-term relationship with that breeder so that you can do future purchases with each other and so that you are able to kind of establish that, uh, you know, the, the skeletons for future support. So what do you guys kind of uh, think, think about that? What are some of the good uh, do's and do nots of negotiating? I mean, negotiating is a, a tough one, I guess, for most people. Um, I I don't like wasting people's time, and just like I don't like pe- you know people wasting my time, I enjoy talking to people, and I'll do it all day long. Um, but I guess there's a, a threshold to it. Um, like me, if I see an animal I want, I I think about it. You know, I run through it in my mind. Do I really want it? Is that a price I want to pay? I... Um, kind of go with it and then I just once I'm committed then I touch base with the seller I ask and if the price is right then I say all right cool done deal I'm not one for many questions like I know what I want I know what I'm getting I know what what the animal's coming from so I go through all that in my mind prior to contacting the seller and then I just don't waste their time if I want it I want it if not then I just pass on it and um kind of like my mentality on it but um I don't know. So everybody's different, I guess. Well, well, I think I think doubling down with uh, the idea is my recommendation initially on like a do is you need to research it before. So you need to have an idea of not only what you want, but what a market valuation is for this project. I have a ton of people always hit me up with like when I post a picture of a VPI snow glow jungle. And they're like, oh, well, how much is that animal? Can I get one? And I was like, well, I do have one available. Here's the price. And then they ghost you. And see, the thing is, is you have these people, they'll, they'll DM you or PM you and say, hey, how much is this animal? Well, that one's not for sale, but I do have this one. Oh, well, how much is that one? Oh, then you tell them the price. Well, that seems so expensive. I'm like, but you should research the morph, the difficulty of production, the length that the morph has been available in the open market, the quantity that's currently available, et cetera, et cetera. I think a lot of people get excited and it's almost offensive when someone comes to you and says, oh, your animals are too expensive. Or they say, well, I can get it cheaper somewhere else. Well, if that's true, then go somewhere else. Because if this is the price I'm telling you, that's the price I'm expecting. Yeah, you know, and don't, I, don't, and don't bite the hand that feeds you in essence. No, you know? exactly. And I think that's one of the pet peeves that I think most quality breeders do have. Mind you, you know, negotiating is okay uh, from from one perspective, but you have to be real smart about how you go go and do it, right? Number one, you never want to lowball anybody that's within quality. If you are looking to lowball prices, I think that you are best off looking for a cheaper animal, okay? When you start going out after quality and you want to pick up quality, you have to have the mindset, as you were saying, that you're going to have to pay for that, Right? And I think the thing that I've always used in the past is I try to not only set up the purchase for a one-time purchase. I want to set up a um, a good relationship with that breeder, okay? And maybe I end up paying a little bit more than I want to in the beginning, okay? But with full knowledge that the more business I do with somebody, the better prices I'm going to get. Is that fair? Yep. Yeah, of course. Of I'd course. Agree. I mean, I... I, I think you earn your reputation with a seller, right? Like it's one of those things to where when you've proven to be an asset to the community, because like, like I, I deter buyers all the time. I right. have people hit me up and I'm just like, I'm not going to sell you an animal because I just plain don't like you. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to happen, so stop asking. 
oh, well, well, I'll get it anyway. No, you won't, because I'll just keep the animal for the durations of its life so you don't get it, you know. But I think that, you know, the more you get from somebody and the better relationship you build with somebody, of course, you're going to be allotted better pricing than, say, you're just some guy off the block trying to get something, you know. Right. And eventually down the line, you get better picks or kind of first in line or things like that. You just kind of build that relationship. Yeah, no, and I think you guys are absolutely right. It's all about relationship building at the end of the day, right? So, yeah. what of so, harking back to the original question, when people are asking me what's the best way to be able to get the best boa for a really good price, I tell them, don't think about purchasing this boa. Think about what the boa you're going to purchase two or three years down the line from this person, especially if this person is consistently producing quality, right? And then at the beginning. You know, you could come to a little bit of, a, of, of an understanding and maybe a slight negotiation, but I always favor to have the price closer to the buyer's asking price than necessarily to the price that I have set in my head, right? Because I want to be able to establish that relationship. And something that Tom hit during uh, the first podcast that was super important is the fact that when you go out and you pay rock bottom prices for animals, you're going to get rock bottom support after the animal arrives right so if something were to go wrong with that animal you know the the seller is you know not likely to be able to you know be that support mechanism if that animal isn't eating good luck if you get that seller to really be there for you and try to help you out but when you go out and you spend money with the right sellers you end up establishing that relationship that's kind of for the long term but more importantly you end up establishing that support structure right tom Absolutely. Well, and I, I think even even going a little bit further with that is when you start working with the people that are considered heavier in the industry, right, and, and the more well-known sellers, us well-known sellers converse with one another. And there are people who are notorious tire kickers, and we oh, all yeah. know it. So we're not going to spend the time babysitting you and getting you pictures and doing that. And then we have the people where it's like if they hit you up for an animal like Sergio, like if he hits you up, and he wants it and the price is right it's it's a done deal you know and so you don't want to come into the game as a, a newcomer and pissing off all these people by in essence wasting their time because you either weren't you didn't educate yourself on the valuations you were offensive in your offers you are are short and expecting to be treated like a king when you haven't earned the place yet you know what i mean like the you got to be a thoughtful buyer as much as you are as a thoughtful, thoughtful seller. And if you piss off one seller, we're all going to talk about what, why you pissed off that one seller. And then we're going to not want to sell to you for the strict fact that we just don't want to deal with you. you know? Right. Like if, if, like if Sergio were to write someone off and then they came to me, I, I would hit up Sergio and be like, what's wrong with this guy? And then Sergio would be like, oh yeah, it just didn't work out, you know tried to get him pictures for or whatever reason i'd be like oh well i don't want to do the same thing i don't got time to send 100 pictures to people you know well i'll be honest man when people hit me up especially on high-end animals okay when they hit me up asking for multiple pictures and stuff like that that honestly bugs me a little bit unless it's somebody i've i've already have you know an established business relationship with right because the reality is you should know what you want to purchase you should know when you're looking at a picture that's posted for example on morph market or on facebook or on instagram you should know if the picture's been modified okay you should know 
what the colors actually are, what the colors are going to be when the animal's in shed versus what the animal is actually, you know, under natural yeah, sunlight, yeah. right? Like, like you, you have this preset expectation through educating yourself prior to inquiring of what that animal, animal will be and should be. So if you're provided as a, as a buyer two pictures of an animal, like a bird's eye and then a side shot, that should be sufficient. Like you right. don't need to see the dorsal side. You don't need me to open its mouth. You don't need me to take a close up of its mustache. I don't need to show you its cloaca. So why are you asking for more photos? Like at that point, you know, it's kind of more more work than it's worth a lot of the times. And you know, granted, like like some people, you pander to their requests, which is okay. And and they do come through. You know, sometimes you 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 have to work a little bit. But in other times, like you can tell right away if these people keep asking these redundant questions that are easily answered just by either looking at a picture or going on Morph Market and seeing valuations, those aren't the people that you necessarily want to deal with. And that, that's the last type of person that you want to become as a newcomer, especially when you're looking for high-end morphs. No one is buying a high-end morph for cheap-end prices. It's, Amen. It's, you know, and so don't come into it wanting a jungle labyrinth VPI for the price of a hypo jungle, it's just not going to work. And I mean, if the price of a hypo jungle is what you can afford, that's what you can afford. If you are patient, save up more money, get something that you consider to be better or higher end, right? No one says you have to buy the snake tomorrow. You can buy it in a year from now, or you can save up your money for two years and then get that holy grail. I think people just rush too much and they just want to like get in and start producing but then on the backside, they're like, oh, well, I sacrificed quality for quantity or, or expediency for money. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And by God's good grace, dude, don't be at telling the guy that, it's tr that you're trying to buy a snake from, telling them, oh, I found this on Morph Market for this amount. And they're yeah, go, 100 go bucks it. cheaper or 500 bucks go cheaper. Buy go buy it, dude. Go buy it. <laughs> Nobody's stopping you from buying that. If you want quality, you're going to pay the price that I'm asking you. Yeah, I and don't then, know how many yeah. people hit me up for fire stuff and say, oh, well, I can go on Reptile Ring. I'm like, good, go on Reptile Ring. I don't care where you can go. If you want my lineage and, and the animals that I produce here and you want the service that backs up behind that and you want the quality, then I'll hook you up. But if you, if you, you, know, you want to go compare some auction price animal to the animal that I'm producing, we're just in the different room, you know? And it's no disrespect to that person. Like, I'm happy you can go get it on Morph Market, and I implore you to do so. You know, but I'll never post my stuff up there because I don't need to. Yeah, and, and I think, and, and I'll be honest, I have stuff on Morph Market because there is a certain market for, for example, animals that might not necessarily be at the very top end. I will say all my super top end animals, I've never had to post them on Morph Market or King Snake or anywhere else. Simply, I've either posted a picture on my personal Facebook or on Instagram or I've sent pictures directly to friends within the industries and I've been like, hey, check this out. Look what I just made, right? And then the moment they see that, then they're like, oh, I kind of need that, right? And, yeah, yeah. And oh, well, and let, and let me redact real quick. I, I said Morph Market. No, I didn't mean Morph Market. Morph Market's good. I meant Reptile Ring. So okay, like, yeah, if, you, yeah, if you see oh, it on yeah, Reptile no. Ring, you know what I mean? Then oh, yeah. go for it. More no, Morph Market's great. Like I think I think the Morph Mar Market has set a new standard for for animal sales and oh, you know, really really has um, you know upgraded the ability for people. And because you go on there and you see a plethora like super high end to 
your average just pet keeper. So yeah, I redact that. I didn't I didn't mean morph mark. I meant reptile reptile ring or whatever the auction site is. Um, but yeah, I mean morph market definitely has a really good place for for a lot of and and there are a lot of animals on that lower end spectrum that have a lot of buyers because maybe they just want a pet. You know, they don't exactly. want to make DPI. And, and jungle, honestly, jungle blood, that's whatever. where I think Morph Market really shines. And that lower end to intermediate end boas, that's going to bring new people into the industry that's going to allow them to see apples to Definitely. apples comparison. I think that's really what that's designed for and what that's great, you know, for. So, guys, um, let's talk about, while we're on the subject, let's talk about some of the do's and don'ts while you're the seller okay so obviously you guys have experience selling to the high-end picture high-end folks but i'm just going to give you kind of some of the do's and don'ts and some of the pet peeves and things that drive me nuts okay one of the things that really drive me nuts is if you guys post a picture and it isn't a quality picture like i know sergio you are super duper picky about the pictures you end up posting right and that's why you yeah. don't post them as frequently is, is that fair to say yeah, I, I try to get good pictures, and if I can't get a picture that represents the animal, then I, I won't post it. Yeah, and I think it's really tough a lot of times because boas tend to have so much, so much subtlety inside their colors and how they reflect light that a lot of times it's super difficult to capture, right? Oh, it is. Trust me. Like, I've tried every type of light. I've taken them outside, cloudy day, sunny day, and you don't always really get, you know, what the accurate representation of that animal is going to be. But mm -hmm. the other thing that ends up driving me absolutely nuts, and I'll be completely frank with saying that, because I've had to deal with, with, with this in the last couple of days, is when I go and I decide to purchase an animal, and people are asking me, people that I've never done business with are asking me to send them payment via friends and family or to cover the PayPal fees, okay? And I'll tell you why that ends up driving me nuts, okay? If you know PayPal is going to take that 2.9%, okay, you sure. should build that into the price of the animal itself, all right? If you expect a buyer to pay that fee for you, number one, it, it violates the terms of service, which is one thing with that. But number two, it makes the buyer feel like you're nickel and diming them, right? Exactly. Especially, I, I, yeah, I agree. 100%. Especially when you're looking at a higher-end animal, right? So one of the things out there for you guys that are starting to sell snakes for the first time, whatever that PayPal fee may be, factor that into your price. Don't ever ask them to send you that. Because the reality is, if they send it to you friends and family and they don't know you, number one, the buyer loses all protection possible. Number two, you end up leaving a bad taste in the mouth of the buyer. Okay, so these are things that you really need to consider whenever possible when you're when you're making these sales. All right. Um, the other things that really, you know, I, I, I try to get sellers to understand is that customer service is king. Okay, so really be out there and try to establish a relationship with your customer base to be able to move you forward. Now, that being said. In the future, once you establish that relationship, if you want to be able to send them friends and family, do it. And I'll be honest, with a lot of guys that I work with and guys that I have established relationships and I have friends friendships with, I'll always cover that friends and family. I'll send, st I'll send stuff to them. I'll eat those PayPal fees at that point. I don't care paying for those fees when it's my friends, right? But if you don't know somebody from, you know, a stranger off the street, don't have that expectation. Um, Sergio, anything seller-wise that kind of drives you nuts in the past that you've noticed? Uh, 
Well, just like you said, I mean, I, I've had some sellers where I, I reach out and I'm, you know, we're uh, making a deal or whatnot. And during that time frame, like constantly bug you, stuff like that. And you're like, once you make the deal, it's like crickets. <laughs> right. Disappear. Oh, stuff yeah, and, dude. Yeah. yeah th- those are the worst. That hundred. That's, that's super bad. Like once they, it, it almost makes you feel like once they get your money, that's all you were. You know, you're yeah, just, it's like, man, we just broke up. Them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like you got you got the phone number, but then you got ghosted, man. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that, that'd be the only thing for me that I could think of. How about you, Thomas? Uh, I mean, I, I agree with that. You know, I, I'm to this point to where I don't I don't really buy anything, fortunately, you know, uh, but through the years, I would think that. Like, like I agree with the friends and family stuff. You know, I have some guys that'll kick it to me or try to kick it to me, friends and family. Um, PayPal actually banned me from that, so I don't have that ability anymore. Um, but there, but even even just as like friends buying stuff, they'll they'll cover the fee if they can't send it like through Zelle or something. But yeah, I'd say that whole ghosting thing. You know, like don't make me or and don't make people feel like they're just sacks of cash because once they get that impression they're not going to come back because i see it time and again to where you'll spend an inordinate amount of money with somebody and then the second like they have it they don't want to talk to you anymore you know like like there there's not that after purchase support and that's why i say be careful with who you do deal with deals with when you buy a bow or you're buying the breeder if the breeder has proven time and again that that's how they act man i wouldn't want to do business with them like straight up yeah it just, know, just puts a bad mouth bad taste in your mouth for sure for sure Hundred percent, man. So, guys, let's transition over to talking about the labby gene and kind of, uh, you know, some of the potential that's going to be associated with labyrinth. I think all of us are working with labyrinth in one way or another. So, um, Thomas, maybe if you want to give us a little bit, since you were one of the super early investors in labyrinth, if you want to give us a little bit of background about the labyrinth gene and kind of how you became aware of it, and uh, maybe some project highlights. Uh, so, yeah, I got. A pair of 2013s, Posset Sharp, is from Carlos's first litter. Carlos was the labyrinth that got imported. Um, you know, I, I grabbed that pair, and unfortunately, uh, both of those animals had something uh, defective, and they ended up passing away. Uh, you know, I raised them for years and years, and just didn't work out in that manner. So I ended up uh, getting a hypojungle labby from Jeff. And I also have a fire labyrinth from him as well, um, female. But the male I bred this year. So I paired him up with a sharp snow. So best case scenario, I'd get Hypo Jungle Labyrinth, 100% double head sharp snow out of that one. And then I, I doubled him down with a big fire girl that I've been raising since 2012. And so maybe make my own Hypo Jungle Labyrinth fire or something like that. Uh, as far as projects are concerned, I mean... I'm happy that I'm getting the anery side of things into it because I think I love it. I love the energy, energy, anything that's kind of like tea snow based, uh, anery looking, love it. So, you know, I really want to see the VPI snow labby. I don't know if anyone's made hets yet. Maybe they have, maybe Jeff has, um, this year. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Uh, I think, I think that. the, I, I think Jeff probably has, and maybe Chaz. I think that would be yeah. I mean, it. Sergio would probably know uh, about Chaz, but of course, you know, if that if that's private information, we don't ask people to let that go. You know, yeah, like yeah, people's totally. business is people's business. But you know, I still think that there's it's so new. It's only been around since thirteen. The first ones were were produced. I picked mine up like in in fourteen, I think, at the beginning of fourteen, 
and that year i think jeff only sold two or three pairs maybe right um you know and and i think there was something in that first litter that just wasn't quite quite right because a bunch of those animals didn't make it long term but what i'm seeing now and you know sergio sergio can even attest more than me because he has a bunch of them um you know it seems to be a strong gene the crystals seem to be doing reasonably well uh, I'll bait some people grow them far too quickly. But, you know, we did see a crystal litter drop in Europe last week, and there was a huge amount of crystals in that litter. I think he got like 13 or something. And, you know, and, really, and Dave really Palumbo beautiful. produced some last year, if I recall correctly. Yeah, right. um, he, he did make those. I think his are the, his are the hypo crystals. Yeah. Um, same, same ones in, in Europe this year. But, you know, the, those ones, he, he needs the slowest feed, in my opinion, on those. But still, if, if, he can raise them that quickly and then they produce i'll be pretty pretty comfortable in my assumption that that crystal is going to be a strong snake long term you know and right. that, that's what we really want to see is when we have these incomplete dominant morphs we want to see that super form in the homozygous form be strong as well have good fecundity have the ability to reproduce have a lifespan that is worth breeding for because if you're going to breed a boa and it lives for three years what the hell's the point you know like that it defeats the purpose of why we do what we do so in my opinion um you know sergio uh, he can give you a good lot of opinion on labby though because i'd say outside of jeff himself he's probably got some of the the rarest combinations and also the rarest projects going in especially if the ones this year hit for him so yeah so sergio um Kind of give us a couple of project highlights uh, as far as labby stuff that you're currently working with and maybe some of the stuff that you want to see in the future within the lab, Gene. The labby snow for sure, labby VPI snow. Um, next year, I'll be putting my um, VPI labby to a carbon BEA, Ooh, uh, 66% nice. head VPI. Uh, so if it proves VPI, I'll make some... VPI Labby Head Carbone BA, so yeah, those will be nice. Yeah, no, I, I agree, man. Because I looked at at those carbons that uh, Kenny's producing over over at Boa Affliction, man, and that richness in you know in color and kind of that saturation really has a lot of potential. Yeah, I I picked up a, a Aztec Carbone v, uh, VPI because I wanted that extra gene, right. but just just the normal Carbone VPI snows. Geez, those things are phenomenal. Yeah, and no, I, uh, well, and I and I can say too, like I think that that pairing is going to be insane because I have seen to this day, I think there's only been one that's been produced, and it was DOA, but the Aztec Labyrinth is absolutely phenomenal, oh, like yeah. mind blo mind blowing cool. And so now imagine that Sergio's proves het VPI, then Oof. plus it's hundred percent het carbon. I mean, that's it. That's and that's why I'm saying is like so infant in this morph game. There's so much that we can do, you know. Yeah. So let me ask you guys, I, I guess the biggest question that's on the table right now. Do you guys feel like the labyrinth is going to be the gene of the of the foreseeable future? Is this something that we're going to start seeing more and more people delve into? I think you will. It's um, it's a real strong gene from what I've noticed. I have about. I think seven animals, and I should know exactly how many I have, but I think it's about seven. <laughs> That's when you know it's <laughs> and, bad, Sergio. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but uh, next season, I have a, a 15 labby head for nothing that I'll be 
breeding my labby jungle so I can get crystals. And, and um, but out of all of them, they're all doing great. They're they're solid. I like them, and uh, I think they'll they'll do well. And the color, for instance, uh, Chase Baker made those fire labbies. Right. Insane litter that he had. The all of them were nice. I, I got two of them from him. One's that labby jungle, and the other is the labby fire female. And the colors from that whole litter were just insane. They're nice. So I, I think it's it's definitely something that'll be worked into many collections coming forward. Awesome, man. All right, guys. So now we're going to go ahead and take a break. And uh, when we come back after the break, we are going to hit the Dirty Dozen. The Dirty Dozen. All right, guys, it's time for the Dirty Dozen. So just like every time, I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You give me your rapid-fire answers, and uh, here we go, man. Number one, Sergio, what's the size of your current collection? Uh, collection's currently floating around mid-200s. Woo! All right. yeah, I don't have an exact count, but it's it's somewhere on there. It's, nice. pr- it's probably actually like 350. He just doesn't count. <laughs> doesn't even yeah, know. I know. I'm so far off. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Question number two. We're focused on husbandry on this one. Are you a frozen thought or live guy? And what's your betting choice? I've done live for the longest time. Um, well, actually, till recently. It just, for the size collection I have, I, I couldn't keep up with the amount that I need to produce. Getting them to a large size, it, it just it wasn't time worthy for me. So I recently just made the change to frozen thought uh, about six months ago. And I still keep a couple live, just you know, for a couple here and there. Right. But um, it's a frozen thought now. I'll probably keep that for a while. And I've kept my Cajun in case I need to revert back to it. And uh, I love Katie Aspen. That's what uh, I pick it up by the pallet. And during breed, that's only during normal season. During breeding season, though, I switch to corrugated paper. Right. Just because uh, I don't, I want to try and avoid any uh infect the hemipenes and stuff like that so i just uh, stick to paper for breeding yeah i'm with you man i'm with you on that one dude uh number three yeah yeah, number three what's your favorite morph or locality i'd have to say it's key west or labyrinth it's uh between the two okay nice man all right number four what's the most overrated morph uh i don't i don't know for me i guess i can't really say there is one just because we all have different likes um, so what's some, I mean, for all I know, people could say VPI is overrated and that's just because it's their preference. So for me personally, I, I just, I don't know, I guess I don't, don't see one as overrated. All right, cool. Number five, what's the most underrated morph? <laughs> Undoubtedly the fire gene. Uh, there's a lot of potential and like great stuff you could do with it. And for us that are out of the box thinkers, it's great because we plug it into like Aztec, Jungle, Molly's, and it opens up the pattern and it does some great uh, great things to it. So it's funny when I hear people say like, oh, it's a dead-end project, you know, you're just going to get a white snake. Right. And cool, let them think that because when we start making all this stuff, then people want to jump in on it. And at that point, we're already years ahead of it. Um, so I would say the fire for sure. All right, awesome, man. We're halfway through. Number six, your favorite part of the hobby. The opportunity to create and build relationships, for sure. 
um, just enjoying people, the same interests. You get to bond with them. And for me personally, like I, I keep my, my group pretty small. Um, that way I can invest more time with talking to people and kind of getting those relationships. But um, you meet some great people along the way and just share the same passion. Awesome. Number seven, what's the worst part of the hobby? Uh, well, just with any hobby. Yeah, um, not, not just boas or snakes in particular, but I would say it's um, like uh, the know-it-alls and just the scammers. Yeah. Um, obviously, with a good portion of what we do, if not, you know, 95% of it, everything being online and we deal with strangers, there's a lot of trust that goes in it. Uh, so just to research and, you know, everything will work out. Nice, man. Uh, number eight, do you keep any other species? And if you do, why? Uh, I don't. Just uh, with what I have, it's a, a fair-sized collection to manage. And I know the way I am. So like you mentioned earlier, you got Del Bono making all this other stuff, which are great. But knowing me, if I got into that, it would just expand so much that it'd be hard to manage. Just let alone like getting or expanding into the carbone. Um, yeah. It's not just one animal because now I got babies that I'm gonna produce, hold back, stuff like that. So just that one alone, you know, you're looking at maybe an additional 20 animals or whatnot. Right. No, man, that's a, that's a good point, dude. Uh, number nine, what's a common misconception about you? Uh. I don't know that there are any, just because uh, I pretty much remain in the shadows and I only make appearances here and there, so I'm pretty much a lurker. I'm online and kind of see what's going on. I just uh, kind of like stay hidden. Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I show up, kiss people on the head, and then I'm gone. <laughs> That's what I'm saying, right? You smell their hair. <laughs> smell their hair. <laughs> nuzzle their ear with, their the nose, with your nose. <laughs> yeah, so, so to be honest, most people don't, they either don't know who I am or don't know much about me. So it's, um, I'm one of those people that I, I don't, I guess like I don't do good or well with praise just cause I, I'm more like, you know, I'm very humble and to, to see people think like the type of collection and how they speak and stuff. It's, uh, it's very humbling and it's great, but I'm very approachable and anybody that ever wants to talk to me, like I'm, more than happy to BS with them and stuff like that. That's awesome, man. All right, number 10. What makes you say, what was I thinking when you look at your time in the hobby? Uh, can't really say I've had any of those moments, to be honest. Thankfully, I, I, I haven't had any regrets so far. Awesome. Number 11. What's one tip you would give the people looking to invest in BOAs? Before they buy and invest, obviously research, do your research, but sit down and really think four or five years ahead what you want to work with, what you want to make, uh, buy from a reputable breeder, and most important, like just invest in quality. Um, you know, sit down, really think of what you want and go from there. Awesome, man. And then the final one of the Dirty Dozen. Do you got any shout outs, anybody you want to say hi to today? It'd definitely be to Green Ant Tony. I know I'll talk to him anyways, but um, he's uh, a great guy that still remains friend, and you know I enjoy talking with the guy. But the the small circle of people that I talk to on a daily um, just kind of make everything great, and just shout out to all those people. 
Awesome, man. Well, thanks for coming on to the show today. Well, boys, that kind of wraps it up for today. Uh, tell the people out there where they can find your animals and learn more about you. It's uh, basically Facebook, Sergio Hernandez. Um, I also do have an Instagram, which I'll start posting to. Uh, same thing, you can find it under Sergio Hernandez and uh, put up a picture of one of the balls. That way it can be found. But um, I also created an account on Morph Market. I haven't put up anything, but uh, it'll also be under Sergio Hernandez. Awesome. Tom? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Facebook at Boa Addicts. And likewise on Instagram at Boa Addicts. Uh, like Sergio, that we're the kind of the kings of keep it all. I created a morph market, but I haven't posted anything to it. So. <laughs> it's like I emulated my life and my collection around the way Sergio does it. It's like when I see him, I see a mirror. It's so creepy, except the the whole creepy Joe Biden reference. I don't see that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, over here, guys, you can find me at morphs underscore unleashed on Instagram, or you can find me on Morph Market. Guys, thank you so much for everybody listening out there today. We appreciate you guys. And we are out. Man, that was an awesome episode. Thanks to Sergio Hernandez and my co-host Tom Cobb for joining us today. Join us for our next episode as we speak with Eric Griffin of Prison Pythons and Eric Reed of Precision Brewing as we chat about how to turn your passion for reptiles into a business. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and a review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time... Grow them slow.